Hello and welcome to the Grace Point Henderson podcast. My name is Parker. I serve as the lead pastor at Grace Point Church in Henderson, Kentucky. This is a continuation of our series through the book of 1 Peter in part two of an exposition from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Grace Point Henderson podcast. Uh, turn them to uh, the book of First Peter, chapter number two. We're going to conclude uh, s- chapter two of First Peter. We've been looking at this for quite some time. Awfully been talking about submission, honoring those uh, that are over us, and uh, submitting to authorities uh, for the sake of Christ, for the Lord's will, because you are a free people. To honor everyone, these imperatives that govern us, love the brotherhood, love the church. Ultimately, fear and honor the Lord, but we can also honor the emperor by submitting as well. Um, We submit even in times of injustice. We see the present moment. We see in light of a bigger reality. We see the Lord at work in our situation. We know that one day we will see this light momentary affliction working for an eternal weight of glory. But we also cannot see these verses without seeing Christ. He is our exemplar. And he is our suffering Savior. And we looked last week and hinged, ended uh, rather, with Isaiah 53. And uh, that's a key passage uh, that we need to keep in mind as we study these final four verses of 1 Peter chapter number 2. But I'm going to read them, and then we will dig into the text this morning. It says, For this you have been called... Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you may follow in his steps. He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. God, that Jesus would go before us and that we would see Christ exalted in this text. But Father, how can we miss it? by your spirit that you would allow us to hear your word and to receive it to obey your word God help us to leave here changed transformed and empowered by the good news of Jesus Christ for it is in his name we pray amen I want to call your attention to a couple of things this morning point number one is I want you to see the substitute and salvation that Christ brings. Substitute and salvation. Notice verse 24. He says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Last week, we mentioned that Jesus is more than our example but he himself suffered for us. Isaiah 53, as we've made mention, if you look at Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, 
It says this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. Peter is making use of Isaiah 53, and he will continue, thus we will continue to reference Isaiah 53, even throughout this sermon. A couple of years ago, I had the experience of attending a Jewish synagogue. I was accompanying a friend of mine who was working on his master's in church history, and he had a world religions class, and so he chose to go to a Jewish synagogue and sit in one of their services. And I sat there with my friend Wes. I could not help but kind of explore some of the items that were around me. I saw a songbook. I saw an order of worship in which a political activist came and spoke about an upcoming election. And then I saw a familiar book. It was the Old Testament or the Tanakh. And I started to comb through the pages, and Isaiah 53 came to mind. How in the world could anyone read Isaiah 53 and not know the suffering servant to be Christ? This happened in the book of Acts as well. How could you read this passage and not realize this is Christ? And much to my surprise, as I began flipping through the pages... Isaiah 51, Isaiah 52, Isaiah 54. And I had not skipped a page. An entire chapter was removed from the Jewish Tanakh. Not there. And even today, Jewish people deny Christ as Messiah. And Peter doesn't want to leave any ounce of doubt in our minds either, that we would know the person of Christ. He says he has committed no sin, nor is any deceit found in his mouth. We would know the person of Christ, but we would also know the work of Christ. He is your substitute. Christ suffered for you, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. This is substitution. This is atonement. This is substitutionary atonement. Christ suffering on your behalf and bringing about not only a fitting substitute, but also salvation. Look at verse 24 again. He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed. Isaiah 53 verse 12. Yet he bore the sin of many and he makes intercession for the transgressor. Peter knows those words fully and finally. Both Peter and Isaiah would have understood the background of the sacrificial system 
Sin was a picture. It was pictured as a burden that was to be placed on the head of a sacrificial animal that was to be killed. The scripture says that for the wages of sin is death. Therefore, a sacrificial animal died in the place of sinners, namely those whose sin were confessed with the hands on the head of the animal in a fitting sacrifice. This is Leviticus chapter 4. So he shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord and lay his hand on the head of the bull and kill the bull before the Lord. Leviticus 4.15. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord and the bull shall be killed before the Lord. It is a graphic demonstration and picture of a transfer of weight or a transfer of the transgression of the sin of one and transferring onto a proper substitute. And then there was this sprinkling of the blood that was of the sacrificed animal that marked the atonement that the sin had been atoned for. Isaiah's depiction of this righteous servant is in Isaiah 53 is that this servant himself was sacrificed for a sin offering. He was struck with the death of the transgressions of his people. And he made an offering for sin and thus bore the sin of many. You know, I think it's quite easy for us to remove this notion of sin. To say, yes, 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 he bore my sin. But we are so far removed from a Jewish sacrificial system that we sometimes could maybe think, well, what's the big deal? We have not witnessed the slaughter of lambs and bulls and goats to the altar of sacrifice like Peter had. We are too far removed from our sin, and we see our sins as something that's trivial, yet they are serious before God. And because of this, we miss the full weight of Christ's work. But Peter says, he himself bore our sin in his body on the tree book of Deuteronomy speaks of the curse of God of anyone that's hanged on a tree. Look at Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23. This is getting at what Paul will speak of about the curse of the law. That under sin, we are under a curse. And those who do not live according to the law will be condemned by the law. But he bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why would Peter make reference to this? He's speaking about a curse that was placed upon Christ. Deuteronomy 21. If a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree... His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. 
You shall not defile your land that is the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance. This was an indication that a man had been put to death for doing what is wrong and being in sin. This is God's judgment and humiliation for wrongdoers. And sin, the defilement of that, is to be removed from the people as quickly as possible. Therefore, they're supposed to bury him. He is, punishment has bore enough. He is accursed. He is put to death. He has been judged by the Lord. He's considered accursed by God because of his punishment. It was the sentence for wrongdoers. It is a sentence for those who are in sin. In Galatians chapter 3, you need to turn there and see this in light of Deuteronomy 21. Galatians chapter 3, Paul says in verse 10, All who rely on the law are under a curse. For everyone who does not abide by all things in the law. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 27. And the Apostle Paul goes on to say is that Christ, watch what he says in Galatians chapter 3 verse 13. In light of what Peter has said, in light of what Deuteronomy has said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. You can't abide by the works of the law. You can't accomplish the works of the law. If you live according to the law, you will be accursed. Because you cannot keep that standard. And the good news of Christ is that Christ suffered for our sin in his body on the cross and absorbed the full weight of the curse of God that was intended for us because of our transgression and put it on himself. The pure, spotless Lamb of God, being poured out for you, bearing the full weight of your offense before the Lord. He himself bore our sin in his body on a tree. He died a criminal and absorbed the curse. You are to be accursed. And Christ put it on himself. Peter is preaching in the books of Act, book of Acts, and he's preaching before the Sanhedrin. And he says in Acts chapter 2, he says to the Sanhedrin, he says, You put him to death by putting him on a tree. But then the victory of God is that God raised him. And Jesus, who was accursed by becoming a curse for you, fulfilled what you couldn't in accordance to the law and put all of your sin in his body on the tree. 
taking upon the full weight of your offense before God. He placed it on himself. We're so far removed from this context. We miss the full weight of this reality. And further, we live in a day of self-justification, of you're like you're doing Jesus a favor by becoming a part of his team. We don't wrestle with, we don't see the horror of our sin before the Lord and what is required of us because of sin. Instead, we compare, we justify, we complain, and we grumble. We pretend that we don't deserve anything but good from God. We ignore our selfishness. We ignore our hatred, our pride, our idolatry, our immorality, our unfaithfulness, our pursuit of worldly things. You know, don't we look nice on Sunday? Have you come to grips with your own depravity? with your own rebellion, with your own sin? Have you come to grips like Peter in seeing his Lord in Luke chapter 5 verse 8 in utter disgust of his sinfulness and says, away from me, Lord, away from me. I am a sinful man. Do you see your sin in that way? That you are a sinful man. God, away from me. I'm not worthy of this. Peter knew that reality. And he sees his Lord. He says, away from me. I'm a sinful man. To see Jesus crying on the cross, say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And to know that he was forsaken, not because of your sin, but be, or not because of his sin, but because of our sin. Jesus is drinking the full cup of the wrath of God that is poured out against sin and he did it for you and for me and for sinners and for us. Edmund Clowney, this will come up on the screen, Edmund Clowney said it this way. He says, if our death does not confront us with the wages of sin, then his death must. God takes sin seriously. God takes your sin Seriously. And the full weight of it, Peter says, God placed on his son. In your place was the spotless, sinless Lamb of God as a substitute for your atonement and salvation. Sinner, don't attempt to cover up your sin or to belittle your sin, but may it be laid bare. And may you feel and may you know the full weight of your offense before the Lord. May it rush to your mind in an utter horror of your sinfulness and the offense before the Father. See and know that Christ has taken it on himself in his body on the cross. That's the gospel. That's the beauty of the gospel. That Christ suffered in our place. He bore your sins. By his wounds you have been healed. Verse 24. He is your substitute and salvation.
Point number two, he is also our strength and our shepherd. Verse 24 and 25, he himself bore our sin in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. For you were straying like sheep. And I said continually when I read it before, I have the NASB entrenched in my mind, and I'll explain to you why in just a moment. For you were straying like sheep and have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter aims that in understanding this reality, and understanding what Christ has done, bearing our sin in his body on the tree, that we not be motivated to legalism or doism. But it would be undergird by this gospel reality that Christ and what he has accomplished for us. And if he has done it, why in the world would you continue in the horror of sin? Do you see the danger of downplaying your sin? As if it's no big deal, you'll walk right back to it. Instead, he says, you might die to sin and live to righteousness. There's this idea of dying and living, that in death, Peter says, there is life that comes. What is that talking about? Flip over to the book of Romans. I want you to see this dynamic at work and the tension that's here and why it's important that we understand it. What shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free for sin. Now, if we died with Christ and we believe that we will also live with him, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion under you since you are not under law, but under grace. And he goes into about being slaves to righteousness. There's death and there's life. And Peter his point that he is making here is that we always view things in terms of doing. That the human heart loves to and is bent towards legalism. Peter is aiming at something driven not by your effort or human exertion, but rather by grace and by faith. Peter's response to you is this. It is not do, 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 do. Peter's argument is that it has been done. It's already been accomplished. So die. And in dying, you live. The word that is used there for die, 
should come up on the screen, but it's the Greek word apogenomine. And it's used in a participle form here. It literally means to die. And in being used in a participle form, it indicates how believers are to live righteously. It's a participle. Or the way in which you complete the action that Peter is aiming for. And the verbal idea is that you would live to righteousness. How do I live to righteousness? I'm sure in our human legalistic heart, we can come up with a lot of ways to live to righteousness. And every one of them says, I need to do this and do this and do this. And Peter says, die. It's been done. And it's not about your human exertion or effort. It's about dying to self. In light of the gospel, he himself bore our sins on the tree in his body that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Peter's point is that Christ's finished work accomplished something for you. It's more than just a pardon. It's power over sin. It's more than just your escape and pardon It's power and victory and freedom from sin. Christ has done this. And in doing so, gives you a new way to live. Not in sin, but to righteousness. It's always grounded in the gospel. It's always grounded in what Christ has done. 1 Peter 4.1, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh... So Christ has done it. Arm yourself with the same way of thinking for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of your time in the flesh no longer for human passions but for the will of God. 1 Peter 1.17 And if you call on him as Father who impartially judges according to each one's words, conduct yourself in fear during your time of exile here on earth, knowing something, knowing that you are ransomed from your futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb unblemished and without spot. Peter's point It's not that you would come to Christ just for benefit and then leave Christ and try to walk in your own strength. He means that if you come to Christ, that you continue in Christ, that you just don't come and receive pardon, but you receive power. And you receive a way of life and the gospel way of living. Galatians 3 Apostle Paul picks up on this. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Answer, hearing with faith. That's the implied reasoning from the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3. Are you so foolish, he says? Having begun by the Spirit, you are now being perfected by the flesh? Romans 8, I love Romans 8. I'm sure you love Romans 8. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. 
Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, verse 12, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, don't miss that, by the Spirit, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You continue to walk in the power of the gospel. You continue to walk in his spirit who is work as it work within you. Not in the power of the flesh. Die to self. And in doing so, die to sin. And in that, live to righteousness. Peter continues to drive this point home. Why does it matter? Why does it matter that we don't attempt to merely come to Christ and then walk away in our own power? Why does that matter? Peter answers in verse 25. For you were continually, for you were straying like sheep. I'm getting ahead of myself. You were straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. He is our shepherd. The word that's used here for Straying, it is an active tense of the word. Is that you were straying. It wasn't that you just strayed and then stopped straying. Is that you were straying over and over and over and over again. That's why the NASB, if you're reading it, it says, for you are continually straying like sheep. In other words, the bent of your heart was to stray away from the Lord. And, and Peter says, you were straying over and over and over and over and over again. But now, God's done something about it. Isaiah 53, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've turned away, every one of us, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Peter is pointing us to this reality that God does not only save us, He is not just our substitute and our atonement, He is also our source of strength, but He is also, the Lord is a gracious shepherd who pursues His flock and His people and restores them. God does that work. In Ezekiel 34, it'll come up on the screen, Ezekiel speaks of the bad shepherds of Israel. We've referenced this a few times. It is a key passage in seeing what Christ has done and accomplished for his people. Ezekiel 34, verses 5 through 13. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over all the mountains, and on every high hill, my sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord, surely because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, 
And because my shepherd have not searched for my sheep, because the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds. And I will require my sheep at their hands, and I put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd who seeks out the flock when he is among his sheep that has been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and with thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them out from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountain of Israel by the ravines and all the inhabited places of the country. Ezekiel is condemning the false shepherds for not seeking the lost sheep of Israel. And pledges that the Lord himself will come and gather his sheep. And Jesus comes into the New Testament and he says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. John 10, 16. Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep. Jesus is described himself as a shepherd who is seeking that which is lost. And Peter is building on this argument here. Namely, that places the burden of action on the Lord rather than you. He says, you were straying like sheep. You were continually straying like sheep. That's in the active tense. In other words, what you brought to the table was your active pursuit of doing things and wandering astray. But you have returned. It's passive. The word there is epistrepho. The burden of your return is grounded in the Lord's pursuit of you, not in your human exertion. You are straying, Peter says. You are pursuing sin. You are wandering astray. And your return isn't to your credit, but to his credit. And in great grace and mercy, the Lord, the good shepherd, sought you out and redeemed you. It's the great hymn that we sing. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. That's been Peter's point all along. Is that his exhortations are grounded firmly in what God has done for you. He has caused you to be born again to a living hope. Though you don't see him, you believe in him and rejoice that is irrespressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith. If you call on him as father who impartially judges, know that you are ransomed from your futile way of life with the precious blood of Christ. Do you see what Christ has done? Do you see your substitute, your salvation, your strength, and what your shepherd has done for you see what he has accomplished for you. The benefit that comes in what Christ has accomplished that you could not. Romans 7, verse 5. For while we were living in the flesh and our sinful passions aroused by the law 
were at work in our members to bear fruit of death. But now we are released from the law, having died to death, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. Paul in the book of Colossians says, You were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, but now He has reconciled you. He has done it. In His body of flesh by His death, in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before Him. Galatians chapter 1 says, As though through the law, I died to the law, so I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now the life I live in the flesh is by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Christian, may you be encouraged to live in the light of Christ's finished work on your behalf, following the author and perfecter of your faith, your Savior, your shepherd who pursues you, who rescued you, who oversees your soul. He's your master. He's who ruling over you. He rules over the governors. He rules over all those who may treat you unjustly. He bore our sin and bids us to come and die to self and find life in him who pursues us, who saves us, who keeps us. He is our shepherd. And he's the overseer or the guardian of your soul. It's interesting in the New Testament, the word epistrepho, the word that is used there in the passive tense in 1 Peter, namely that we have returned and it was the Lord's work. The same word that was used in the passive tense there for God's work on us is also used in the active tense elsewhere in the New Testament. I want you to see this in 1 Thessalonians verse 8 and 9. 1 Thessalonians 1, and then I want you to flip over to the book of Acts 20 and 21. Acts 11, verses 20 and 21. This is 1 Thessalonians 1 verses 8 and 9. I'm making a distinction about the passive use of the tense in 1 Peter. Namely, you have returned and the active use of that tense and what this looks like. 1 Thessalonians 1, beginning verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you from Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. There was in the active tense. How you turned to God from idols. Active, you did that active tense there. Acts 11, verse 20 and 21. But there were some of you, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. 
And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. There it is. Active tense. I, I bring that out because I want to be very clear. God's act, God's offer. And I don't merely like leaving it at an offer. He didn't just offer us something. He accomplished something for us. God's act, God's offer, God's accomplishing of salvation does not rid us of responsibility for the, before the Lord. I want to say it a little more plain. One day, you and I will give an account before God for our sin. And every one of us in this room have a responsibility to respond to the gospel. And the proper response, according to the scripture, is that of repentance and faith. Acts 17.30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And one day, every person in this room, you will stand before the Lord, and you will stand before the Lord, and you will stand before the Lord, and you will give an account. And in that moment, and on that day, if you think for one moment that you will stand in your own strength and not be condemned, or you think that you've done anything to accomplish this salvation, we will be mistaken. But instead, if we, by faith, not a result of works, but by faith, may we respond to His call. May his sheep hear his voice and rejoice, saying, My Savior, my God, my Redeemer, I believe, I repent, I believe. In John 6, these people come to Jesus as a teacher. What must we be doing to do the works of God? And Jesus responds in this way. He says, This is the work of God. You want to talk about do what you must do? to be doing the works of God. This is the work of God. This is the work of God that you believe. Have you turned and trust Christ? Have you repented of your sin and believed in his gospel? Commanding everyone to repent. Have you repented of sin and trusted Christ? May you not be like those in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15. It says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, as in the rebellion. Don't harden your heart. Turn to the Lord. Believe the gospel. It's your invitation this morning. To believe Well, as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grace Point Henderson podcast. If you would like more information about Grace Point Church, go to gracepointhenderson.com, or you can search us on Facebook by searching Grace Point Church Henderson. And if you live in the Henderson, Kentucky area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 10:15 a.m. For all of our listeners, be sure to click the subscribe button so you'll never miss an episode of the Grace Point Henderson podcast.